Hello, Horror Fanatics! I'm Frank. And I'm Jen, and we welcome you to our weekly podcast, Oh, The Horror! Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe to add us to your regular rotation of podcasts. You can also submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to oth at seriouslydecent.com. So, Jen. So, Frank. How you feeling? Uh, I'm getting there. Yeah? Yeah. Feeling feeling uh, spry? I mean, I'm feeling Chipper? a little bit of my sassy self. Getting sassy back? A little bit. Putting sassy back on the map? Maybe, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, we could be. Mm. What do you think about demons today? Where do I begin? The I beginning. thought this was just going to be. We say it every I know, like single this episode. Nice little jaunt through the forest. Yeah. And we'd collect our little demon stories. Yeah. And all would be right with the world. Put a little cute ending on the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then we started reading about demons. Yeah. Like so, really reading about demons. Yeah. Um, I brought back my, my cross. I brought back my tree of life pendant. I have a quartz pillar next to my bed. Mm -hmm. I also have a quartz crystal next to my bed. I have a citrine geode next to my bed. I'm talking to to, to the Lord. For everyone listening, I had to move into the other bedroom. I'm not allowed (laughs) in there anymore. (laughs) You've been replaced with crystals. Crystals, yeah. All sorts of artifacts. Hey, a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. I I had some pretty weird dreams. How about you? Me too. Yeah. It started Um, off uh, pretty, pretty strange. First two days of the hard reading. mm -hmm. You know, the Mm -hmm. light reading, not so bad early, early, but the hard reading leading up to this was, uh, yeah, the first two nights were a bit weird. And so, yeah, yeah, I will say I consulted in some deep prayer before sleep. Yeah. And slept like a baby after that, which in turn made me even a little more nervous about what we were reading because uh, uh, yeah, now you're seeing a little more validity on it. And whether it's your mind playing with you or not, you know, it's hard Could to tell. But, but dots add up and, you know, the random coincidence of things and it, it plays with your thoughts a bit. So I had the joy of reading about demons and I went ahead and researched demonology yeah well you were away at work you work second shift so it was just me mm-hmm. and and my thoughts you and your thoughts and and some books creative director <laughs> dean winchester yeah 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 now that for those that uh would actually remotely care about any of this jen works during the day yes eight to four and eight to five well eight to five yeah, yeah. And I work second shift, 4.30 to 2.30. Yeah. So we never see each other. We get a... We uh, see each other for an hour. At best. Yeah. Throughout the week. Yeah. And then uh, Mondays we have a full day. One whole day. While you're working. (laughs) While I'm working. And Saturdays and Sundays are are the days. It's the days. All she wrote. The days creative Dean Winchester lives for. Yeah. So um I wanna just reference the um 
the books, I I read a history of magic, witchcraft, and the occult, and it doesn't appear to have an author. It has a bunch of editors, but it's the Penguin Random House edition. And then I read the Encyclopedia of Demons and Demonology by Rosemary Ellen Guiley, G-U-I-L-E-Y. And I had promised in the last episode that I was going to read um, a mother's account from the complete books Book of Ghosts. And by gosh, by golly, it's going to be included in this episode. Yeah. Um, because in doing some research, turns out the whole poltergeist thing could actually be, in some instances, demonic in nature. Yes. Actually, more so than not. Correct. Yes. Yeah. I, so, uh, good times. Yep. I had two books that I centralized around. One was a good book that I just gathered a little bit off of, but we'll be talking about this topic in another podcast in the future. It's an exorcist explains the demonic and that's uh Gabriel Amorth with Stefano Stim Stim Stimologio. I I'm gonna Easy butcher the hell out say. of it. Yeah. Well it's not because I <laughs> I destroyed that yeah. name. But it's an exorcist explains the demonic, the antics of Satan and his army of fallen angels. I got some brief information on that. The books you just referenced. Yep. I checked on and those are good books. Yeah, they are. <laughs> and also it's a small, small book of, of stories. I want to say probably about a hundred, 105 pages of real demonic possessions and exorcisms. And that's by Zachary Knowles. Got it. And again, these are books that we're referencing. We're yep. not making any money off of these or, nope. but we'd like you to, Help the author out and check yeah. them out if it's stuff you're interested in because they were good books. Very good books. So we'll, And if you'd like to not sleep again, I highly <laughs> recommend the Encyclopedia of Demons and Demonology. Yeah. 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 It's good Good stuff. Good times. So we'll uh, kick this off like we normally do with the definition. Okay. So a demon is defined as a supernatural being typically associated with evil. Found historically in religion, the occult, literature, fiction, mythology, folklore, and media like comics, video games, movies, anime, and television series. It's a widespread. They're everywhere. Yeah. Literally. That was that was really kind of the That's dawning, the big takeaway. That was the dawning part of reading about it. The yeah. end. Most of it fueled like it seemed through the common theme was temptation. Yes. Temptation leads you to this pathway. Temptation opens you up. Yeah. 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 That, that, that's the big term there. Opens up. Opens up. Yeah. Yep. So what I found was pretty much every single religion, culture, tribe, collective group of people seems to have a strong belief in the idea of a demon and or evil spirit. That's basically the two terms we'll probably switch back and forth on is demon and evil spirit. I went strictly demon. Yeah. Yep. Um, many also share the idea that both angelic and demonic entities are considered to be the creatures of a creator. And this creator has ultimate power over all of them. Yep. 
it was pretty common. Mm-hmm. Again, another common theme throughout history. They're corrupted spirits carrying the execution of a primary source of evil's desires. An example would be Satan with Christianity. Satan's yep. this primary source. And uh, a series of fallen angels, evil spirits, mm-hmm. etc. Some believe they cause physical disease or mental suffering. However, not all mental disorders are demonic in origin. Correct. And lastly, these demons also tempt people into immoral practices causing destruction to the directly and indirectly affected individuals and objects. Yeah. And that was a common thread that I saw with many, many of them. Yeah. All spans around. And at this point would be the perfect segue. How, how could it be? <laughs> with Jen introducing how cultures... How the, how the different cultures. Yeah, how the different okay. cultures uh, carry this. So in China, there is a scroll depicting um, demons. It includes several grotesque demons on parade. The retinue of Zong Kul, a legendary magician known as the Demon Queller. He was rumored to have cured Emperor um, Guangzhou in the 8th century CE of a fever by slaying a demon inside the ruler's dream. So that goes back to the 8th century. Wow. Then in India, about 1500 to 500 BCE, um, Hindus developed a set of scriptures called the Vedas, which include accounts of the birth of the universe, battles between heroes and demons, and invocations to devils, or to devas, sorry. Muslims considered God all-powerful, but still felt they needed his intervention to protect them from shayatin, dangerous ancient spirits. The shayatin were evil demons, including fallen angels and malicious jinn. And the jinn is used for demon primarily in Muslim history. Yes, yes. The Quran identifies them as tempters of the mind, For many, they are real and dangerous. The Jewish people believed that the right combination of words and letters could work magic and be used for anything from defeating demons to making prophecies. The Sefer HaRazim, the Book of Secrets, gave recipes for acts such as healing, stimulating love, bringing luck, causing pain, and banishing demons. Medieval necromancy around 600 CE, common era, the scholar Isidore of Seville believed the dead spirits um, the necromancers called on were not the dead at all, but in fact were demons. Necromancers themselves insisted that they were not making pacts with the devil, but using God's power to bring spirits and demons under control, which, let's be honest, that's an illusion. There's no way you're going to bring a demon under control. You may no. think that you are, but actually they are controlling you. Correct. That's That was uh, an interesting part of researching all this. Yeah. Was where, like, the power starts, where the power ends. Yeah. Trying to figure that out. Everybody's got a, they got kind of their own take with it. Yeah. Most, like, established religions Mm -hmm. christianity Mm -hmm. islam yeah you know the big kind of core ones throughout time they 
really explicitly state that it's God that controls the demons. Correct. And no one else. So Alistair Crowley performed a rite or ritual Mm -hmm. where he went into a trance state and he was working backward through the 14 gates, I believe he called it. And in one of them, he claimed to have summoned and controlled a demon. However, the only two people who witnessed said event were him and his assistant. And everyone has claimed that based upon what they wrote down, it was most likely just a shared hallucinatory Mm -hmm. experience. Because let's be honest, odds of him being able to control a demon is non-existent. Yeah, you don't hear any kind of overabundance or really no. any kind of examples of someone no. doing it. It's it's a last ditch effort to get rid of something. Yeah, there's there's never really many stories of trying to control it. If anything, the stories that I checked into and the stories that I'm aware of to date, mm-hmm. it all seems that all this stuff arrives due to someone trying to control. Yeah. That's uh yeah. That's at least what I saw. So different types of ritual practice were used for angelic and demonic magic. Both included learned academic approaches or quote unquote miracles assigned to someone other than God, and they ran the risk of being labeled as demonic magic. Ceremonial magic, including highly involved rituals, uh diagrams and talismans to engage the power of the stars and the cosmos, they could be used to summon demons as well as angels. Those that claimed they were summoning demons with the, their intent they said was to vanquish them, which whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So in Europe during the Renaissance, Europeans equated demons with sorcery and witchcraft. They were believed to be wicked spirits able to access occult powers, but only within the limits of the natural world. Augustine stated demons demons existed and could enter people's bodies. Packs with demons were to be avoided. Demons were said to submit submit to the power of a biblical figure. Um, and this brings up the story of King Solomon. King Solomon, they had the Solomonic ritual, which invoked holy powers with the aim of gaining control over demons. In ceremonial magic, Solomon had a ring that allowed him to control demons, and he used this to control demons, and then he then used those demons to build his temple, move immovable objects, stones, etc. So because he had this ring, he could supposedly put these demons under his control the and it's one ring to rule, to rule them, them all, all. Yeah. yeah um and it stated at one point he took the ring off to bathe in the river and one of the demons building the temple put the ring on and proceeded to sit on the throne and rule until at some point he was forced to take the ring off at which point solomon's wife got a hold of the ring and got it back to Solomon who then got the demon back under control. Hmm. 
And then the, the demon left. Shocker. Books like the Malus Maleficarum, about 1484, and Compendium Maleficarum, 1608, detailed sorcery involving demons and witches were said to commune with demons and the devil, and these books were used to root out the witches as they didn't believe any witch could be good. Demons in the pagan view are part of the natural order, entities of moral ambivalence who deceive and interfere in the Christian view. I'm sorry, in the Christian view, they're evil fallen angels who chose prides, pride over obedience to God and were cast out of heaven, and they were doomed to eternal hell. And they serve the devil, make unending assaults on humans, and they're attempting to subvert souls to the devil's domain. Demons have a long history of interfering in the affairs of the physical world and people's lives. They act as tricksters and create disturbances to annoy and upset. They cause illness, insanity, disasters, and bad luck. And some actually hold grudges against humanity. There's, there's a creation story in which the demons actually were occupying the world until they had to get off of the earth to yeah. make way for humans. And as a result, they're like... Yo, we want our house back. <laughs> which brings which brings us to demons causing unpleasant hauntings. So this actually directly relates back to poltergeists and the poltergeist activity. There's a three-part I don't know whether you'd consider it a method or Yeah, like a three-stage process. It, it is a three-stage yeah. process. Yeah, there's various takes on it. Yeah. So the first part is infestation, and this is the presence of demons in a place, object, or animal. It occurs when demons take up residence and create disturbances. This is the precursor to oppression and possession, which are the other two stages. It can happen as the result of a curse, spell, or ritual, or actions of the people living in a place. Example. The Catholic Church teaches spirit communication um, devices like the Ouija board or dabbling in the occult or making a pact with the devil or leading a sinful life can create the conditions for an infestation. And they create chaos. And it's fear through poltergeist-like activity. It includes shadowy figures, other paranormal phenomena. You can hear disembodied knocks, usually in threes to mock the Holy Trinity. There's scratching on walls, doors. Rooms can be hot or cold. There are rooms that just have this creepy feel that no one wants to go into. Animals could be in pain or the sound of an animal in pain. There's whispering and levitation of small objects. Which brings us to stage two, oppression. This is demonic influence over a person. Domination of their will, bombardment of external terrors, or through internal psychological breakdown and, and can progress to full demonic possession, a.k.a. vexation. Mm -hmm. Victims are terrorized by demonic blood-curdling screams, heavy breathing, Footsteps, knockings, rappings, poundings, 
hellish moans, inhuman voices through the TV or phones, nightmares and disturbed sleep, putrid and disgusting smells like sulfur, rotting flesh, and excrement, extreme hot and cold, often in in succession, and levitation of people, large objects, and or furniture. Finally, materializations of a black form that personifies evil. Internally, the victim believes they're insane. Dramatic personality changes occur, including mood swings and deep depression. They become argumentative. There's a heavy use of foul and obscene language. The personality change is felt by their friends and family, and it can be relieved by the rite of exorcism and the spiritual reform of the victim. So exorcism in and of itself is not enough. You can exorcise a demon from a person, but if they don't fully commit to a religious practice, they open themselves up to it happening again. And that was one of the like most revealing parts of reading about this and researching about this as much, you know, because... A lot of this reading for me, I was doing not only demons, but also leading up to exorcisms. And that was the the book I I read Mm -hmm. and a couple other sources where it's just not enough to do the exorcism. No. There has to be this lifelong pursuit of faith in God if you go the exorcism route. Yeah. And the thing is, I might be ignorant to other practices, but Mm -hmm. the exorcism root is basically the root. Yeah. If there's no determination of a psychological problem and something that could be treated by a psychiatrist. Yeah. The really, the only other option is exorcism. Right. And what's insane, not insane, but just revealing Mm -hmm. how well it works. If the person, the the affected person of the demon or the possession, Mm -hmm going through the exorcism, they maintain these healthy, normal lives through strong faith and commitment to the the practice of the religion. Mm -hmm. And it was really revealing, like case after case after case after case after case. You just start reading about this, and it all has the same ending. Yep. And it was pretty revealing, at least for me, in that that regard to to hear that. It was very eye-opening all of it so that brings us to possession and this is the takeover and control of a person's mind and body by a demon a condemned soul a ghost spirit or deity and it said most are not demonic but mm, i don't know In Christianity, possession is associated with malevolent spirits under the direction of the devil that threatens a person's health, their life, and their afterlife. Since ancient times, it's been believed gods and other spirits interfere with humanity on a daily basis. Spirits may possess the mind and or body, cause them to carry out certain acts, for the entity's purpose. And some traditions, um, they they do it in whatever they're doing for the favor of the gods. 
mediums, channelers, and trance prophets submit to voluntary possession to become a vehicle for discarnate entities to communicate, which can be problematic mm. because if someone is having a poltergeist type manifestation in their home and they can't come up with a logical reason for it. One of the first things they're going to do is turn to a medium mm-hmm. or a psychic to have them come in and see if they can offer up some sort of idea. And it should be noted that demons lie. Yeah. Like they aren't known for their truthfulness. I mean, there may be a handful of them that, you know, if you I you mean, get them in a room, they'll be like, yo, let me tell you some stuff. But for the most part, their end goal is they're going to say whatever they need to say to get them what it is they're they're looking for, to, to get them to their end goal. And on the Christianity side of it, they're really clear on... Demons are around to just end the human existence, period. Yeah. It's yeah. a giant middle finger to God, so to speak. Right. So and, the the whole point is, if a medium is telling you, oh, yeah, well, there's a spirit of, you know, this little girl. She used to live here. Odds are, that's not a little girl. Yeah. She did not live there. And the best protection is to not give any spirit permission yeah. permission to permission or the advantage to correct to basically dictate the the tone of the engagement so to speak yeah yeah and there's evidence that at the beginning of your poltergeist activity if you don't acknowledge it or you don't give it credence you don't give it the power. You don't give it the power that it needs to mm-hmm. fuel itself to escalate. Yeah. So if you don't feed it, it can't get bigger. Yes. Essentially. Yes. So just take anything that someone tells you with a grain of salt is well, is, is the big takeaway my, there. My personal opinion, and again, I'm more of the skeptic person, but... Like this round here really kind of turned me around on some ideas and thoughts yeah. that I never really kind of considered. And there was other books that we have and we yeah. read and get access to. And, and some of them are just flat out scary. Uh, there are several there's that books honestly that, shouldn't ever have been printed. Yeah, we have a book here. We're not going to discuss the title of it but and just so you know we're not going to name any demons either no no the one book we have that's in print it says it's basically a book that should have never been written no essentially and it's it's a grimoire it's or, a grimoire full and there are other grimoires but this correct, one in particular this was, one is supposed to be to summon and summon and, and utilize demons, demons to, your, to your advantage yeah and you just start reading it. And I mean, I'll be honest, I was afraid to read entire portions of I those pages. Didn't. You know, I, I didn't would, go any further I'd look at the headings than and I'd the look introduction at, that's a dangerous and the book. forward. Yeah. And a lot of it is 
the Gollum effect. Yeah. Uh, or what some would now in modern days called visualization. Yeah. Where if you see something, you believe something, you can create that opportunity. Correct. Well, I've, it's kind of like the Slender Man lore. Yeah. It just started out as, you know, like a creepy pasta. And mm. now people are actually claiming to see the Slender Man because millions of people have access to that post. Mm-hmm. And it is literally the Gollum effect. Yeah. So that's great. Um, most are temporary and end when the goal of the possessing entity is accomplished. Sometimes the entities present an ongoing problem requiring stronger measures. If possession is problematic, an exorcism or expulsion or banishing of the entity by a trained practitioner, such as a priest, magician, or other expert, is the only relief. Yeah. So they say that you can protect yourself from demons by the use of an amulet or a talisman. And it can be something as simple as a cross. But your best talisman against it is to be strong of faith Mm -hmm. and to be morally beyond reproach. And this is where this is where. Christianity really hops into the thou shall not have false idols in front of me. Yes. You know, so like the cross itself isn't going to protect you. It's the belief and the idea of the cross and what it stands for. Yeah. And that's, that's what the church stands by. That's what Christianity stands by. If you think someone you know or love is under the influence or possessed by an evil entity repulsion to religious objects is one of the things that they use to confirm yeah but a lot of them also like the book i was reading with Mm -hmm. the the guy he's an actual exorcist yeah and and he said the the first thing that he does with every single case that he's brought with is that they go see a psychiatrist yes but you gotta laugh with that because a lot of people sit there and Especially on the sciencey side, the big science fans will sit there and diss religion yeah. on on a bunch of things. But however When they can't solve when it. When they can't solve something, they're going to a priest to to solve it or they'll recommend it. But what I didn't know because I'm told a different story, however, like I said, this exorcist saying he consults psychiatrists and he yeah. works hand in hand with yep. psychiatrists. And this is someone in uh in in Italy. Yeah. And that's that was revealing to me. Yes. And that's what people should do. If yeah. something's wrong, talk to a psychiatrist first. Mm-hmm. Don't go the whole cultish route or no. get a a person who can, you know, don't talk don't to a, a medium. medium. <laughs> you know, don't talk <laughs> yeah. to, you know, go see a psychiatrist and see if there's a medical way right. through this. If there's not a medical explanation, yeah, then you need to to at least consider that it could be it's it's possible yeah supernatural on the outside of it you wouldn't think much of it but read enough of these stories and yeah it's a consideration on the table yeah and all of the stories of exorcisms performed by exorcists they say usually that first key as you mentioned jen was having 
the re- religious artifact or saying a prayer yep. or saying something yep. around the affected area, whether it's a part of the house yep. or it's an object or yep. it's um, a person. Yeah. And if there is a direct response resistance and, or, or yeah. resistance or mm-hmm. just direct response to that. It's called provoking it's, it's called, the spirit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So are we getting into stories now? Let's. Okay. We have uh, a few stories that we're going to share, and I'm going to start with one. Uh, I know on my end, some of the names might have been changed to respect their privacy. Correct. So some of these stories, you know, they're they're considered real stories, true accounts, but... Flashback the, to real world. You know, true stories. I'll go for it. I'll give it to you. <laughs> and um, so the first one I have is uh, Clarita Villanueva. And she was known as Vampire Girl. Nice. Yeah. And uh, Clarita was a petite, attractive teenage girl living a very rough life in the Philippines during the 1950s. She was around the paranormal at an early age, watching her single mother hold seances and practice fortune telling as a means to make money. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, she was 12 years old when her mother died and she was left to fend for herself. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, this is a rough story. So she wandered from place to place, having no settled home, kind of the the vagabond lifestyle. And then she's quickly lured into prostitution because she's got to live. Yep. She focused on the capital city of Manila since that's where all the money was to be had. Yeah. So fast forward six more years. She's 18 years old in 1953. Manila police arrested her on vagrancy and prostitution charges. And at this time, she was locked up in a prison cell, and authorities discovered something was quite wrong with Clarita. She claimed two creatures had repeatedly attacked her over a period of nine days. The officials didn't really pay much attention to the claim, you know, just basically saying it's mental illness. Right. But then... Oh, her? She yeah, crazy. She crazy, yeah. yeah. She's that crazy chick we picked off up, up, up off the street. And uh, the officials, you know, are basically going the mental illness route. And then these bite marks start appearing on her neck. Mm-hmm. And this is how she starts receiving the name Vampire Girl. Mm-hmm. So soon, Clarita was in the mayor's office, accompanied by the chief medical examiner and other witnesses from various professions. She began to writhe, laugh, and cry out as if experiencing pain. The group of witnesses observed bite marks and they appeared where no bite marks had been previously. Right. They stated the bite marks would appear under the palm of someone's hand as they held her arm becoming visible once the hand was removed. Yes. So at one point, those present saw her make a motion of pulling hair from someone or something invisible. Mm -hmm. And then they discover a wad of thick, straight black hair in her clenched fist. The hair matched the description of her tormentors. She described one of the, her creatures as a large man covered in thick, curly hair over his head, mm-hmm. chest, and arms. He also had large teeth, similar to a dog, sharp, piercing eyes. The other creature was very short, like a little over two feet tall, mm-hmm. dressed in a black hooded robe with sharp, vampire-like teeth and bulging eyes. Clarita would describe the beings taking turns biting her. 
Mm-hmm. She'd say the smaller one would climb around her body to find places to bite. They would prefer areas of the body that would be difficult for her to inflict a bite on her own. Right. And then these areas would be the upper torso, neck, arms, and the bites would leave these unmistakable bruises. Mm-hmm. And also, what was really weird, saliva-like moisture would appear around the bike marks. Right. Like it was fresh. Yep. So the attacks continued. Her story starts attracting attention in the media. And she's making front page news, not only in the Philippines, but all over the world. Yeah, that definitely would. Yeah, no, this is the 50s. Yeah. Uh, 50s going into, I don't even think it's the 60s at this point. But it's, it's the 50s and news is starting to spread about vampire girl. She might not be crazy. Well, who knows? And the news published her in a photo which her face and mouth were contorted in anguish and death and just a desperate look in her eyes. Yeah. I can't even imagine how afraid like this poor girl. Exactly. With yeah. just the life she's surrounded lived by whole- all these people. No one is helping her. Yeah. But not just no one's helping her. She has no family. No, she doesn't have any parents. No she doesn't have any siblings, friends or anything. She's mm-hmm. just alone mm-hmm. with in this crazy environment. She's the perfect target. Another grainy newspaper publishes her mouth stretched wide open in pain, eyes shut, and reportedly in the middle of a seizure. Clarita would fall into trances and seizures and occur, they they would start occurring more frequently. Over a hundred medical professionals were called in during her trances. Mm -hmm. And what they would do is they prick her skin with needles and they got no reaction at all. She's just completely zoned out. Yep. She's out. Yep. Some of the medical experts insisted her experiences, of course, were manifestations of mental hysteria. They would even claim the bite marks were discolorations in the skin caused by her mind. Because nice. that's a yeah, that's, a, that's easy, a thing. That's a, that's a thing that you do. That's an easier bridge to cross. Yeah. However, they could not provide an explanation of how her mind could cause such marks. Right. So yeah, you know, you got that. yeah too bad you get the sheepy you know so other witnesses would disagree and they were claiming something not seen to all except clarita were attacking her and they were just helpless to protect her right you know they were saying look there's something's happening here do they ever call in a religious person to help this person uh, it goes on the story it's okay there's a uh, there's a story of an outspoken skeptic accusing Clarita of trying to get attention. This skeptic was cursed by Clarita. And witnesses stated that her eyes narrowed to like a snake-like appearance and said to the skeptic, you will die. And it can't be proven that she did curse him, but he died the next day. Mm-hmm. One of the chief jailers kicked Clarita for some wrongdoing mm-hmm. and yep. abused, roughed her up pretty bad. And in response, witnesses say she turned to face the guard and murmured the same words. And within four days, the jailer died. Mm-hmm. These are like where I talk about before, like the singular stories I don't have much of an attachment to. Yeah. I'm going to ask a million questions. But this is an old story, and it's a pretty famous story. Yeah. And the thing is, is there's these witnesses that were there to account for these actions and sayings and right. things like that. And it's just really revealing. 
Many would claim Clarita was not a victim of demonic torment, but rather a powerful witch. There was a lot of that story going around. And her mother being a fortune teller added fuel to those claims. So an American Protestant minister, here you go. Thank you. Yeah. An American Protestant minister came to aid while working in the area building local churches in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. So he's just there building local churches. And he hears the story. Hears about the story. And he felt that God brought him to the Philippines to help this girl. Right. And he worked with the mayor for permission to visit Clarita. Mm -hmm. And he brought forward a case of demonic possession. Right. So now it's turning into that that stage. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, being a Protestant minister, he did not perform a Roman Catholic exorcism. Right. But but he performed an exorcism all the same. He began to confront the demons in the name of Jesus Christ. Right. The demons spoke through Clarita in two distinct voices. And this correspond to the two demons Clarita witnessed. Correct. Yep. And after a matter of days, the minister was confident Clarita was freed from their power. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, they returned. And the minister again confronted him in the name of Jesus Christ, and he finally cast them out for good. And Clarita was encouraged to seek salvation to prevent further demonic possession. Right. Getting back to what we're yep. talking about. Mm-hmm. And she was freed from her demons for the reminder, uh, remainder of her days. She remained active in the church and went on to marry and have a family. Nice. Yeah. Nice, happy story. Isn't it? <laughs> it's got a feel-good factor. Yeah. I can't get over how scared... Like, just having no family, Nobody. Friend, no support you network. You are literally by yourself. You know, and you're in a prison, these crazy, and yeah. you're just around all of these, everything, like, course medical doctors, and, you know, everybody's just, like, poking, prodding you. and Right, tra- but everyone thinks that you're crazy, and you're doing this to yourself. You're under this Im- immense stress, which is only going to feed them and make yeah. them stronger. Well, and I think, and the way the story was portrayed is mm-hmm. it was kind of like a there was definitely people in the camp that were like there's something wrong here right and then yeah. there was in the other camp where the but this is where those things you know where they say pursue it the science route even yep. back in the 50s yep pursue it the psychiatric route and then mm-hmm. from there and then of course this hero of the minister coming through right and and helping her out well, and of course God it he was there yeah and it didn't get into the you know like how many days you know right, he said after yeah. a matter of days of free yeah. the power you know that you know, don't know specifically, but yeah, a good ending at, at the end of it all. Yes. You know, to go from that point of a childhood and go through prostitution all that for she years went through. Yeah. and then go through this whole bit and she was able to go on and marry and have a family and stuff like that. Actually you know. live a life. Yeah, it's crazy. It's quite a story. It is. So my story comes from the complete book of ghosts by Paul Rowland. And this is Denise Jones's story. If the claims of Connecticut housewife and mother Denise Jones are to be believed, any family can be caught up in these living nightmares. Denise also documented her ordeal in a best-selling book, The Other Side, the true story of the boy who sees ghosts, um, New Horizon Press 2000. The other side reads like a classic case of poltergeist activity, but the focus of the phenomenon was not the family home, but Denise's son, Michael, who was five years old when the problems began. Please keep this in mind as I'm reading this story. This little boy is five. Five years old. 
It appears that Michael had a troubled birth, and it was touch and go whether he would survive. During those crucial first weeks of his life, he was declared technically dead on more than one occasion. Denise thinks that he crossed over and returned so many times that when he came back, he left a door open to the next world. So as soon as Michael was able to talk, he would look at things that no one else could see. He'd ask who was upstairs talking when there was no one up there. I would brush them away, I guess hoping it would go away. When I remarried, I didn't want to alarm my new husband, Bruce. So whenever Michael woke up screaming in the night, I would tell him that Michael was afraid of the dark. It was partly true. He was scared of the dark, but he had good reason to be. Bruce had two daughters, and when one of them asked if she could move in with us, we decided we had to move out of our small apartment and find a four-bedroom family home. We couldn't believe it when we found what seemed to be the perfect place and for half the going rate. We thought we'd won the lottery. I didn't have any bad feelings at all. I thought it was nice. The upstairs hall was a bit creepy as it was so long and it felt like it did not stop, but the house seemed ideal and came just at the right time. The other thing... That's the classic story. Oh, wait. Of the the house at half price... Got the deal of a lifetime. Get a load of this. (laughs) So the other thing we all noticed was the number of rosaries in the rooms. (laughs) Do you remember when we did that uh, open house in... We did a lot of them. Glens Falls and that one room upstairs, like to a corner, two parts of the wall were just full Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember we were like, yep, no, we're out of here. We're like, and we're done. Yeah, that could have had everything. (laughs) That could have had like a full car. That house did have everything. It It was beautiful. And we're like, nah, man, we're out. But I mean, they could have had literally like a a container of That one particular room not only had the cross collection, but I believe there were other religious relics. Like, I think there were like Virgin Mary statues. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah, you wonder, like, you know, does that stay with the house? You know, yeah. I, I didn't even stay long enough no. to la- ask We're that like, question. We're like, oh, this is really nice. Yeah, so what yeah, else? Uh, um, what's okay, next? Okay, bye. What's next? <laughs> Thank you. There seemed to be one in almost every room, which they're admitting was odd. At least I thought it was a nice touch, like a blessing on the house. But later I suspected they might have put them there to protect the previous owners from something, or maybe they were left by the previous owners to protect the new owners, Mm. us. The first indication that Bruce and Denise had that something was seriously wrong in the new house occurred one idyllic autumn afternoon shortly after they had moved in. Denise was working in the garden when she heard a piercing scream. Rushing up to Michael's room, she saw him cowering in the corner, muttering something about an old man who had appeared from nowhere and touched him on the shoulder. I didn't think it might be a ghost at that time. It was around 4 p.m. and ghosts only come out at night, or so I thought. Now I know they come at all hours. All I could think was who else might be in the house. I grabbed my son's metal toy truck and ran around the upstairs, my heart pumping, thinking... I'm going to have to beat someone with a metal truck. When I failed to find anyone in the house and seeing how scared my son still was, I held him and we talked about the man as calmly as we could under the circumstances. Michael said he was crayon colored white 
and he said that the man had tried to touch his shoulder. Of course, there was no man in the house. I didn't know what to do. I was Catholic, and my boys went to catechism. I believed in the other side. Growing up in a haunted home and having parents who were different, but just because you believe in such things doesn't mean you automatically attribute such incidences to apparitions. Yeah. Who would want to believe that they're sharing their home with the spirits of dead people? That night, I took my kids to my parents' home because I wanted to talk to my mom. While we were talking, we heard a cry from the other room. Michael had seen a sculpture my father had made of his of his father, and Michael had recognized the face as being that of the man who had appeared in his room. My father assured Mike that his great-grandfather would never hurt him and that he was not to be afraid of him. Great-grandfather was an angel who would look up after him and made Michael feel a little bit better. But I was very uneasy with the whole idea. Mike was seeing my dead grandfather. I did pray to my grandfather when Michael was born to look over him as I was close to my grandpa. And I gave Michael my grandfather's middle name, so maybe grandpa was watching. But now maybe he was watching over Mike because he needed protection. Yeah, a a guardian, guardian angel scenario. Yeah. It was nice that Mike was okay with this, except a few days later, I heard Mike upstairs talking. So I went upstairs and he was on his knees on the floor, looking up and chatting away. When I asked him who he was talking to, he said they were his guardian angels. After that, I took Mike to every doctor I could find, from psychiatrists to neurologists, even eye doctors, and so on. But none of them could find anything physically wrong, so they suggested I consult a psychic. You know who they should have saw? A proctologist. I mean, sure, why not? He would have got to the bottom of that situation. That's, but um, terrible. He he was being hit, scratched, and choked in front of us. But by what or whom, we couldn't tell. I didn't know what to do, but I knew it was important to record everything. I just wanted answers, and I was desperate for help. Sometimes Michael would lapse into a comatose-like state and had to be taken to hospital. He would appear to be asleep, but afterwards he could recall what we had been saying while we were watching him. The hospital called in the priest one time when they couldn't wake him. The priest prayed over Mike, and he woke up. I was sure it was a spiritual condition, but you just never know as a parent, and I was not sure what I wanted. Sometimes I would think a pill could cure him as if it was an illness, but no pill could could or would mm-hmm. cure Mike. The whole experience alarmed me. Mike screaming every night because there was a woman in his room or a man, someone on the stairs, a little boy running around, a man with a bandana standing in the doorway, his bed jumping up and down and being scratched, blood coming from it as I sat next to him. He choked every time I put holy water or a cross on him while in those paralyzed states. But it wasn't just Mike who was the target of the phenomena. Our hair was being pulled by unseen entities. Something would tug at our feet. Objects were moving on their own in the house. Things were disappearing, never to be found. Electrical outlets blew up when Mike walked past them, and black smoke or fog would hang over them. What made my skeptical husband a true believer was when he and I were on the couch downstairs in the living room watching TV, and we heard a banging on the ceiling and the kids screaming upstairs. We raced up to see Bruce's daughter and Mike's older brother, Kenny, standing in the doorway in Mike's room in 
a state of real fear watching Mike's bunk bed banging up and down on its own while Mike was hanging on to it for dear life. Bruce grabbed Mike and we all ran downstairs. We all slept together that night and we could hear things being smashed in Mike's room. When we got up, Bruce opened Mike's door and all of his toys were on the floor, many of them smashed to pieces. At that moment, I knew we couldn't run. We had to fight. We all felt so alone and in our own little world, but that is what finally convinced my husband that we were dealing with something supernatural. It was pretty scary when he was being choked as he would gasp for air and you could see his throat go in. I actually recorded this on tape because I knew people would find it hard to believe otherwise. And there was the time my mother was dragged out of bed by her feet by an unseen entity while trying to protect my son who was staying with her at the time. The ghost had followed him to her house miles away. It was then that I realized that it wasn't our house that was haunted, but rather that Michael was the focus of some malevolent beings. Another time, Michael was staying with my parents when something attacked him, and my father stepped in and called on it to attack him instead. He regretted that. The next moment, it leapt on him and pinned him to the floor. My dad had the impression it was like a big beast, like a lion. He was paralyzed by the energy emanating out of this thing for a few minutes until it let him go. He was badly shaken and told me that he didn't know how Michael was able to survive such terrifying experiences. The Jones family were evidently not the only people to be taunted by the entities in their home. On an occasion when Denise's sister and her children came to stay with them, Denise's young niece ran screaming from the bathroom. Something had turned the water full on in the hand basin and was laughing at her. Then the growling began. It was an ominous, threatening sound, which couldn't be traced to any specific spot. As the attacks on Michael intensified, leaving him in a paralyzed state for anything between two and six hours, Denise was forced to take him out of school and educate him at home. The other children wouldn't go to the bathroom alone or take a shower without a parent being present. Whenever they wanted to fetch a drink or snack, they would go in pairs. Even Denise was afraid to stay in the house alone when the children were at school and Bruce was at work. Eventually, they turned to a team of paranormal investigators for help. The investigators captured EVP, electronic voice phenomena, and what Denise refers to as abnormalities in several photographs that they took. But she felt they were more interested in using her story to promote themselves and notes Riley that they got themselves a speeding ticket on the way to a TV station. Eventually, their relationship degenerated to the point where the Joneses brought in their lawyers to argue their claim over the rights to the material that had been collected and the potentially lucrative story which the investigators wanted to see in print. But Denise was grateful to them for bringing in the local Catholic bishop who performed the first of several exorcisms, which appeared to have reduced the severity of the attacks that Michael was suffering from at the time. Watching my son being hit, scratched, and choked by unseen entities was as painful as watching a human hurting him, but with the added trauma of not knowing what it was or being able to pull them off, I had to fight back, and the only way I knew how was through my faith. Initially, I went to my church for help as I put my kids through catechism there, but they refused to listen to me. I begged them to bless my home, but they told me they don't do that anymore. I felt like I had been slapped in the face. I was angry and upset. 
So I wrote to the archdiocese, but received no answer. Then I called them and they told me it would be months before I heard from someone. I begged them to help. I told them it was urgent, that my son was being hurt and we cannot wait any longer. I told them I had medical reports and video evidence, but they were totally unsympathetic and I never heard from them again. Then I was told about a bishop in Monroe. He asked for all the evidence we had and said he would help my son but I would have to wait another three days after he had studied all the papers and video as he said Michael would need the exorcism in Latin and he would need to fast for three days to be in a state of grace for that to be effective. When we met, I felt sorry for him. The poor man was thin enough and looked like he could do with a decent meal. He conducted the exorcism in an empty church. Michael sat at the front and was very quiet. He complained of feeling sick and the bishop gave him holy water to drink. He kept looking off to one side as if he could see something there. Later, he told me that he had seen a shadowy figure laughing at him. I was very emotional during the ceremony, although I didn't understand what was being said. It was all in Latin. There were no histrionics, no demonic voices or special effects like in the movies. It was very dignified and moving. I felt a great sense of love wash over me. But at one point, I felt a cold breeze in my face, and I caught the smell of roses. Afterwards, Michael told me that he had felt the same chill, and he had also smelt the flowers, and that he now felt that everything looked brighter than it had before. When it was over, the bishop said it may take more than one session, and that I could call him any time. He refused to take any money, even a donation. This sense of relief, and of a weight being lifted from us only lasted a short time. Then it all just went crazy again. Sensitive souls attract spirits, and you can't pick and choose what comes in. Mike's psychic gift made him a, a torch in the darkness. Every home has its spirits. Luckily, those in the next house were not as mean as those in the first. But nevertheless, it was hard. We moved many times to flee the memories of what had occurred in those houses, but it wasn't until Mike was 16 that he came to the realization that he needed to live with them and even learn from them. By this time, we understood that it was Michael's sensitivity and abilities that attracted things to him or awakened what was already there. A few weeks after we moved into our present home, Mike told me that there was an old lady with long gray hair bending over the counter by the microwave. He described the mother-in-law of the previous owner who I had seen in a photograph they'd left behind. Hmm. This time, Mike was not afraid. The spirits do not scare him anymore, and because he has lost a lot of his fear, the negative entities have not been attracted to him, and the number of worrying incidences has been dramatically reduced. I had a lot of publicity before the book was published as the result of the investigators who wanted to make themselves famous from our story. I was on national TV shows such as Primetime Live, Unsolved Mysteries, and so on. The next day, I opened my door to see news cameras parked in my front yard. So I slammed the door, and within minutes, the investigators were at my house asking why I wasn't cooperating. They told me that the press was saying my son's exorcism was not sanctioned by the Roman Catholic Church. I had the bishop do it because I wouldn't wait for months as the church wanted me to. They urged me to defend the bishop, which I did. I refused to let anyone say what the bishop did was wrong. He helped my son when the church refused to do so. And this is why I went to the media. But once the story was out, it was relentless. 
the intrusion into our lives just wouldn't stop. The movie, The Sixth Sense, came out many months after I did the TV shows and newspaper interviews, and I was told on many occasions by the journalists that they thought the film had been based on my son's experiences. It was such a similar story. When Michael saw the film, he couldn't sit through it to the end. It was too close to what he had been through. It was suggested that I do something about it through my attorneys, but I couldn't publicize our story to make money. I did it to make people aware that they are not alone in this. Other families have shared our experiences and suffered as we have done simply because they have a son or daughter who is sensitive to the other side. I did not enjoy the media attention. Some were nice, but others were aggressive, intrusive, cynical, and mean. I received a lot of support from families of different faiths, and I still receive letters of support in the mail from people. I try to answer all of them personally. I don't mind skeptics. It is hard for anyone who has not been through a haunting to believe in such things and to fully understand what it is like. There are many people who wish to see ghosts and experience all sorts of paranormal and psychic phenomena. What I'd say to them is, be careful what you wish for. As far as the skeptics are concerned, if they went through a quarter of what we had experienced, they would no longer be skeptics, and I wouldn't wish that on anyone. So if they are still skeptical after reading our story, it only means that they have not experienced the power of the paranormal. And isn't that a wonderful life? I wish I could say the same. <laughs> That's a crazy story. Right? The little boy was five. Yeah, five years old. Five. That's incredible. Yeah. Strong kid. Yeah. Yeah. What's, so now you get why I wanted to share that one. No, I definitely. We didn't have time to last uh, episode. No. That would have put us to like two and a half, three hours. <laughs> but I found interesting because a lot of the stories I read surrounding possessions and exorcisms, a lot of people would complain that the church wasn't available to them or didn't care that that yeah. type of statement. And I always kind of had that st stance as well. And then when I read this recent book with the exorcist. Right. Uh, well, they've got a, they've got a set policy and procedure. They well, have to go. There's through. not many of them. That's and the that problem. Too. Yeah. That's what people don't understand. Yeah. Uh, and that, that book I mentioned earlier, the, the exorcist book. Right. He goes at great lengths to explain the real deficit of exorcist priests right. out yeah. there. There's not many at all. There's certain, the demand exceeds there's entire, what they have to There's to entire meet. countries that don't have them, and the requirements yeah. to be an exorcist is very, very complicated. Yeah, it's and, strict and, and rigid. It, it's strict, rigid, and there's a lot of, lot of issues with it. And that exorcist, for example, wanted Pope Francis to just basically say, look, every single... Uh, priest should have this ability right to do this yeah. there shouldn't be all of this you know you shouldn't have to go through a right. bishop and yeah. have the bishops approve this and that and so on and so forth and i think that's changing because i think the church from what i've read the there's actually in the last five to ten years an increase in inquiries for exorcisms from people mm -hmm. and not by a little um by a lot. There are certain churches that were talking and saying if they just did the exorcisms, they would be busy all year. They wouldn't even have to be, they wouldn't even be able to hold service or right. anything like that. Yep. That's crazy. That is. And what's also revealing is, is you don't hear anything about this. No. None of it. No. 
Which is insane Radio to me. silence. And I'm not blaming the press or anything like no. that. But like if you're a news reporter, here's a crazy story. But I also think this. I think the church tries to stay quiet about it because they don't want to bring on fear either. Yeah, they don't want to panic people. Yeah, and it again goes with that whole it's hypochondriac. Like fire in no, a but it's theater. a hypochondriac yeah. syndrome too, where somebody will just you know hear again like a strange little noise. Oh my God, my house is possessed and I'm possessed, and they're gonna let it again. Right. It's the golem, the golem effect yep. where you put it in your head and it becomes real. But yeah, that's an that's an incredible story. Yeah. It's a strong kid, boy. So I have our final story. I was actually going to pick a totally different story. And then I found this dumpster fire. Nice. Yeah. It's a grade A dumpster fire. Okay. And so I kicked that other story to the curb. Really? I'll bring that in. Bring it on. So this story is about Michael Taylor. And Michael Taylor was married to Christine Taylor and then father of five children. He's a but he was a butcher in Asa, England, and he and his family seemed to be like the typical family of the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Just happily married, loved his children, did not suffer from depression or any other mental issues. Uh, he was just an average-looking guy, had a laid-back personality. Mm-hmm. Just a just a dude. Just a like the great family. So then Michael becomes involved with a local religious sect called the Christian Fellowship Group. And the Taylors were not religious until a neighbor invited them to one of the meetings. And there they met the leader of the group, Marie Robinson, and he became obsessed with both the group and her. So the group later described as a cult by some involved. Mm -hmm. Shocker. Yeah. And uh, trust me, this has got like all the ingredients of a cult. So basically, the group takes up much of Michael's time. He's going all in. Yep. He's attending all the services. He's participating in deliverance-type meetings. Uh, he attended personal prayer meetings with Marie, mm-hmm. just one-on-one. Yep. And this pulled him away from the home. And when home, things started becoming different. His wife... What? Yeah, his wife starts to get concerned at this point in time, she's beginning to suspect that maybe there's more to Michael and Marie's relationship than prayer. What? Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. So somehow, for some reason, she leaps to the idea that, you know, maybe there's an affair. And later on, she Michael. Did her ankle jump into that conclusion? I think she might have. She might have. Uh, later on, Michael stated he remembers suddenly appearing naked in front of Marie. Just suddenly. Because that's a thing that happens. And feeling evil with him within him. You know, it was probably like in the pants area. That's where the evil was. His loins. Yeah, yeah his man bits. And uh, he claimed her eyes turned to slits and she seduced him. He tried to fight it, he said, but the temptation overcame him. He claimed he went to her seeking knowledge and spiritual guidance, but in retrospect, he could see this was not the right, um, it, it was not right. And felt betrayed. So here's a shocker. Marie has a different story. It's not the same as... Oh, I'm sure she does. It's not the same as Michael's. I bet it's... Oh, no. Well, she said she was visiting Michael at his home. And as Christine left the room, Michael kissed her. She rejected his his advances, reminding him of how much he loved his wife. He agreed. And when Christine came back in the room... 
he informed her that a great victory had been won because he and Marie had overcome their passions. I Did I, anyone ask Christine if that incident actually took place? Oh yeah, no, this is like verified. I got I should have prefaced this. This is verified by like the people attending this religious group. Uh-huh. Verified by Christine, like verified like yeah, this is crazy. And I bet I bet Christine was overjoyed about this news as well. I'm sure. <laughs> right? I'm sure she was like, oh, great. Good for you two to overcome your passions. I'm so happy How for nice. you. nice. Yeah. So at this point, things aren't really heading in a healthy direction. I mean, I can't see yeah. why. Those who knew Michael best claimed it was not the Michael they knew. There was this drastic negative change in his behavior. Mm-hmm. And he also loses his job, and he's now suffering severe depression. He's just spiraling down yep. this, this hill here. Christine is worrying more and more, and she just can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. So she takes matters into her own hands. Does she talk with him privately? No. no. Does she proceed to any type of counseling? No. No. And this is where you know you're in a cult, because you do this next thing right here. During a religious service, she openly, before the congregation, accused Michael of cheating on her with Marie. Yeah. It makes me think of the princess ride. Liar! I know. (laughs) I just, this, like, I, that's got all the story of a cult right there. Yeah, it sure does. So, normally laid back. Mellow Michael turned with just this like primal fury and not on Christine, but Marie. And according to witnesses, his facial features twisted into just something downright bestial as he jumped to his feet and charged toward her, yelling obscenities and screaming at her in different languages. He slaps her just hard on the face. And Marie said the look out of his eyes convinced her He wanted to kill her, and she was frightened for her life. Mm -hmm. Several members of the group grab Michael, and it takes a while to restrain him. Mm -hmm. Michael continues to yell and scream at Marie, switching from language to language. And again, this is when you know you're in a cult. Terrified, both Marie and Christine now begin to call on the name of Jesus. So they're they're buddies now working on a team. They're they're a team now. Help me help you yeah yeah team, they're they're part of team michael now and happy to be there as they did michael calmed down enough to be released and michael insisted that like he had absolutely no memory of the of whole what had just thing. happened yep so again this is where you know you belong in a cult michael returned to the next meeting and seemingly the group including marie forgave him Things were still not well at home. He actually came back. Now, yeah. here's here's my deal. Hey, guys. Oh, no. I know I got a little out of hand. You know what's weird about the whole thing? What? Is that he returned to the meeting and there were people there. Yeah. Who the hell stayed? Yeah. I mean. Who the hell stayed? There's so many layers of dumpster fire here. It's just unreal. So, things aren't well at home. He's irritable. Angry, sullen, and when he 
when he was just at the house, it just stifled the joy of all the existence of everybody in the house. Right. So in public, he would actually spit on people and tell them it was the milk of human kindness. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of ingenious. I laughed so hard at that when I first read it. Right. And it was literally like 3.30, 4 in the morning. I'm upstairs and I'm laughing. And creative director Dean Winchester's looking at me like, what? Just go to bed. Dude, yeah. what is wrong with you? So, so even the neighbors at this point are noticing the family was abnormally quiet and observed. That's what I'm hey, saying. Like this, you can't exhibit that kind of behavior. <laughs> no, they just knew, like, because normally, like, the neighbors said that, like, there was a lot of joy around the house. Right. They were playing in the yard. Not and they so were just much. That happy family. Yep. And then now, all of a sudden, just the house is tight as a drum. Mm -hmm. People are going in and out. They're not saying anything. It's, it's just real quiet. So someone, at least one person had a brain there. And, of course, they, re they remain nameless in this story. Yeah. The hidden hero. Someone talked to a local Angelican priest. The priest decides after hearing it that an exorcism is, is needed. So both Angelican and Methodist ministers were called in to assist with the exorcism. And Michael agrees to participate. Mm -hmm. So Michael and Christine meet with the exorcism team. The exorcism lasts all night and into the morning. During the process, Michael had convulsions along with screaming biting, scratching, and spitting. He was tied to the floor for the safety of all, and any time someone came near Michael, he would snarl and snap at him yep. like an animal. The prayers, confessions, and Bible readings went on for hours. Michael would fight and appear to be more animalistic than human at times. Mm -hmm. That next morning, the team claimed they had cast 40 demons out of Michael. Mm -hmm. including the demons of incest, bestiality, blasphemy, and lewdness. Worn out, the group decided to stop and try again a bit later because there were three demons remaining. Demons of insanity, murder, and violence. I mean, because if you're going to stop, let's stop with them. Well, here's the interesting part. Okay. So a wife of one of the ministers was present at the exorcism, and she felt very, very strongly... If the team let Michael go, he would kill Christine. Yeah. And she spoke to her husband and the begged the team. The murder demons are left in him. She spoke to her husband and begged the team to keep going and not leave. Now, I know if I was just casting out 40 demons and I know I'm tired mm -hmm. and I need to take a break, and I'm well aware of demons of insanity, murder, and violence. Now I could, I, I'll buy the whole story that they were exhausted. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Okay, leave you know, the dude is it here, tied to the floor. Here we go. Get some rest. This is the this is the whole deal right here. The exhausted team ignored her pleas, and Michael returns home with Christine to rest up. What could possibly go wrong? Well, within two hours, she's dead. What? Two hours. I mean, he's possessed by the murder demons. How could she possibly be dead? Yeah. You know, don't don't leave him tied up. No. Don't have a couple people just stand and watch. Yeah. You know, no. No. We're, we're going to take him home with his wife to the house. So the murder was discovered after Michael was found wandering the streets. He was naked and covered in blood screaming, it's the devil's blood. It's the devil's blood. Officers took him into custody and... And then the crime scene was discovered 
when they went to look, you know, home to check on the yeah. wife and let the yeah. wife know, like, hey, you know, we, we found your husband. We found your husband. It's not good. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Him's covered in blood. Yeah. So here's some you guys want to talk to us about. Here's apparently what the demons of insanity, murder, and violence. This is how they party. Okay. Mike, I bet it's not good. No. Michael strangled her with his hands. Okay. Pried out her eyeballs. Yep. Ripped out her tongue and tore most of her face off. Yeah. All of this was done with his bare hands and fingernails. Yeah. Fortunately, the kids were not home when this hey, took place. Hey, that's good. Yeah, so there's a little silver lining there. I mean, maybe. But the police also found Michael's mother-in-law's pet poodle strangled and torn almost limb from limb. Yeah. The crime scene was so disturbing to even the most experienced officers on the local police force who struggled with the memories for years. The officers described Christine as simply torn to pieces. Yeah. So... Michael had become convinced that Christine was the demon possessed and confessing to the police, you know, to the officers later, he was saying, quote, released, I'm released. It is done. The evil in her has been destroyed, unquote. Mm -hmm. And it seemed the demons remained in control of him with the only way for Michael and Christine to be free was for Christine to die. Right. That was the. Yeah, that was that was their goal. That was the goal. So the minister's wife was correct. The demons of violence, insanity, and murder were aiming to see Christine destroyed. Huh. Yeah. Funny. Michael was tried for murder. Again, the dumpster fire keeps going. Yeah. Michael was tried for murder, but was acquitted on the grounds of insanity. He attempted suicide four times and spent two years in a mental hospital and then two years in a secure ward. Years after... His release. Mm -hmm. I'll yeah. say that again. Yeah. He was released. Yep. And Michael was arrested and tried for inappropriately touching an underage girl. He was found guilty. Less than a year into his sentence, he was exhibiting the same type of behavior he had shortly before Christine's murder. He was once again in psychiatric care. He was released again. No, I'm just kidding. That's <laughs> <laughs> It would add some nice sauce, but right? but it was speculated that he was never fully free to the demons that drove him to murder his wife and leave of course his not. and leave his five children motherless with what many perceive to be a monster for a father, proving demon possession doesn't just affect the possessed. It doesn't. In all of the the research that we've done, there's there's a hierarchy of demons. Yeah. So they expelled the nobodies. Yeah, and left the and left three the, most the hard hitters, and yeah. then they're like, "Oh no, no, you guys will be cool. You yeah. can go home." Yeah, yeah. Well, and then, but you also look at it. This happened nineteen seventy. Yeah, you know, it's a longer <laughs> time ago. But still, well, no, you got to understand. Again, this is a, this generational position we're in, where we have all this information just true at our fingertips. But I'm just and gonna say this: if if you were told, all right, the dude in that room, he's a violent, psychopathic oh, yeah, no, murderer. I'm not arguing with that. <laughs> Are you going to go, like, chill with no. that guy in a room for an hour? Probably not. No, you tie him up. You, you Exactly. Know. But, again, here's the thing, and this is where, because 
I read this and I was like, yeah, no, this dumpster fire is coming in here. And, you know, mm. we're going to we're going to definitely talk about this. But I have but I also but I also look at it, too. I get it. Like when you're exhausted, you make stupid decisions. Yeah. But you know? I mean, you have a level head telling you. I'm not saying they no, had I'm to not continue. When you had COVID, you were dumb as a box of rocks. So was I. Yeah. We were sick. Yeah. We weren't. We didn't. And we didn't even have heavy symptoms. We didn't. We just had mild symptoms. Yeah. But when you're sick, yeah. even when I had the flu mm-hmm. earlier in the year, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, you're not trusting me with anything. No, you're gonna I didn't. You're going to sit in the love seat with my feet up in a blanket and just feed me fluids till I start forming Here's a popsicle. Semi, you know, semi-decent words and and maybe a couple of good, well-formed sentences. Then you're going to take me serious after. Right. So I kind of get that, you know, the combination of everything of just not everybody having a bunch of information. Mm -hmm. You know, I I get that. But then there's the whole thing. Like I used to sit there when I was reading this. I'm like, this can't be real. But it's like all these witnesses. Yeah. And it's, you know, the the neighbors, the people in the cult. Yeah. And I'm calling it a cult. Cause oh, yeah. That's some culty crap going right on there. Yeah. The part where I lose it is I where... think there's more than one demon involved in this. Oh, I, yeah. And, and I don't just mean the ones that they expelled from yeah. Michael. Was that, was that the dude's name? Yeah, yeah. I think the leader of the cult is also well, possessed. And here's the funny part. The leader of the cult was only like 22 years old. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is where you... Yeah. It's, Total cult story. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, this Michael guy's like 30. Yeah. And Christine's like 29. And they're buying all this like horseshit shovel to him by this 22-year-old. No offense to 22-year-olds, but, you know, you might not want to lead a... You shit together. You might not want to lead a group on, no. you know, advising people on, you know, no. that type of stuff. But I had to laugh when Christine's like, that's it. I'm calling you out, bitch, you know, and just calls her right out in the thing. And then he... <laughs> He starts freaking out, and then they're both like, Marie and Christine are both team Michael, yeah. you know. Oh, oh yeah, no, hey, we got to pray for you. Hey. Yeah, that's all, that's all culty. Yeah. But that's my story, and You're I have to say, to it. that's it for demons. So, hey, guys, well, I know we've been telling you for how many episodes? Are, this is seven? I don't know. To rate, review, subscribe, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it would be greatly appreciated if you left a review. Well, by golly. Someone answered. Yay! We would like to thank, and I just absolutely love your account name, Ambien for Fun. Because that's what you do. You take Ambien for fun. Thank you so much. And we're glad that every week is a great topic and well done. And you won't regret tuning in each week to see what they talk about next. So thanks for the support. We yes, actually thank you. We're happy that you're happy. Um, I would just like to uh, provide an update on our would you rather question. Mm. Would you rather be a, a vampire or... A werewolf. Yes. Um, vampires are leading three to two. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the cool group to be in. Whatever. Good luck with the fleas. Okay. I mean, I can at least go out in the sunlight. Yeah. Like I said, it's overrated. So, what do we got next? <laughs> We're gonna keep this gravy train going. We're heading right into 
demonology. Yes, we are. <laughs> so again, who needs sleep? It's overrated. <laughs> well, and that's our that's our lazy way of doing two close topics together. Oy vey. Yeah. Well, actually, it's just this topic was so big, and it's actually going to spawn another episode. No, we were we originally will do one on exorcists. We were we were originally thinking of doing uh, part one and part two with demons and demonology, uh, but with the information around on it, we just decided to do two separate, yeah, segmented episodes with it, and then we'll proceed on to other topics. But demonology next week. Thanks for listening. We love you all. And thanks yeah, so much. Yes, thanks a lot, and and have an awesome week. Thank you. Bye-bye.